Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Untitled Banter Podcast. Usually it's an audio-only thing. Please go subscribe to the World Culture Gaming Podcast. Jules, what's up? I am just about to say, it I is see. a video podcast yeah. today, and we are joined by an extra special guest, because the one, the only, Josh Brown Whoa! is here in the house today. If I, I knew which button was the clapping thing, I don't, but... Well, just fortunately, a- we have hands. Hey. hey! We've done it. We've made it to the video realm. Honestly, one special occasion. it's difficult. There's four cameras here. We're only using one. I'm not entirely sure which one is actually turned on. That one, maybe, I think. What you're going to have to... that one? That one's got a bit of a light on it. Keep me in line. So it's fine. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Untitled Banner Podcast is always where me and Jules take the weekly questions, talking points, whatever's going on in the industry, and break everything down. Like I said, please go subscribe to the What Culture Gaming Podcast feed, where you can find that. You can also find me and Josh's show, The Wind Up, that goes up every Monday. And there's also the weekly show, The What Culture Gaming Podcast, as normal. Um, but because Jules is up, why not do some stuff in person? So we still have this week's questions and talking points and things from, from everybody. We'll get through as many of these as we can. I want to do a special shout out to Pinky. You know exactly why. For one of the loveliest reasons possible. Um, thank you very much for everything that you've done. Um, first question, thank though, you. is from Gigantor, who says, Who wins in a fight, Danny Kratos or original Kratos? Ooh. OG Kratos. Oh, well, this is a deeper question, I think. It's it's not just character versus character. Mm. It's love versus hate, isn't it? (laughs) It is OG Kratos, purely spurned on by vengeance. Daddy Kratos. (laughs) Love (laughs) hat. I feel like old Kratos, like original Kratos, didn't have any restraint. So I feel like on a long enough timeline, a big enough fight... Um, I should clarify that they're not. We're going to be getting into more industry-based questions and things like that. There's a whole swath. No, no, don't qualify no, this. This is a very important question. It's a really is a little good bit. question. I'm just saying that in regards to uh, the overall swath of what you can expect from the UBP, there are more things in there. But OG Kratos, I feel, has zero restraint. I feel like you cannot box him in, whereas Daddy Kratos, especially Ragnarok Kratos, will take a minute, will sit back, even in 2018 is when he's taken a minute. Now, I think that you are missing one key aspect, Go and on. that is that Daddy Kratos has something to lose and something to fight for and when pushed into a corner that will go even beyond his lack of restraint before mm-hmm. because he was he was callous and careless the problem is was that young Kratos he made a lot of mistakes he made a lot of mistakes when he True. was fighting the gods he was constantly duped by people because his anger blinded him mm-hmm. whereas daddy Kratos fixed focus understands the job at hand and how to get it done <laughs> plus let's face it he's got a lot of cool tools at his disposal I mean hey. imagine if like you've got screaming young Kratos running towards him with the blade just going, ah, and he just goes, axe to the edge. <laughs> it's, no, you're not wrong, really right? Cool. And again. OG Kratos has the Medusa head, though. Like, you can full on... Oh, wait, so we're, are we saying that he's got access to every single If you're invoking the would... tool rule, then 
then. Maybe nah, but do. the tool rule is that his starting gear was like the Leviathan axe, mm. effectively, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's axe versus chains. Which one do you prefer, really? Mm. Oh, that's what it comes down to. These days, I prefer the axe. I mean, I, like very I, versatile. I uh, to quote the wrestling lads, popped massively for the, uh, the return <laughs> of the chains in the 2018 game. Yeah, but true. I'm very much an axe man these days. I think the issue is it's rock and a hard place, right? For me, I go Daddy Kratos beats OG Kratos. But okay. the thing about OG Kratos is you can't kill that guy. He literally <laughs> clawed yeah. his way out of hell or the equivalent of hell at least two times that yep. I know of. Yep. So you kill him, he's coming back. Daddy Kratos in a trace cannot rest. That's very true. I'm imagining that he's actually quite an annoyance to the underworld because <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like you again. Will you piss off, mate? Like, I'm trying. I'm trying. Not to make everything about Dragon Ball Z, but you know when Goku always you know ends <laughs> know, up running so. snake way and he's back again. It's like God damn it, man. Just come on. They have that bit. Is it? Um, remember when they remade uh, most of Dragon Ball and it was like the shorthand version of it? Kai. Uh, Kai, yeah. that was it. And they had the bit where Dragon Way was just like cut down to like a minute and a half, wasn't it? And just kind of like I'm on the Dragon Way, bye. So, so, okay, that was like nearly an entire arc. So, like when we were in school, though, that all that Dragon Way stuff when Goku was dead was like two or three years of our school time. So yeah. it was like you lived a whole life when he was uh, before he was coming you back. You felt like you had gone on that journey yeah. with him. It was, I feel like death barely exists in these contexts. Anyway, let's pick yeah. a uh, pick a decision. I'm going Daddy. Your Daddy Kratos. Mm -hmm. I think I'm going Daddy. I'll go OG Kratos. Mm, okay. I think the fury of that man, the unbridled, more immature rage, will rest less than, Listen, uh, than Daddy Kratos. The beauty is, it's going to be like that bit in Godzilla where he just said, let them fight. Like, if I was literally <laughs> there, I wouldn't want that to happen because OG Kratos did destroy an entire realm. Yeah, but that. if I was watching it on television, if I had, if I had to, like, you know, pay a pay-per-view for that fight, mm. I would. It would be yeah. really good, a yeah. big spectacle. It feels like some, you know, we talk about the uh, AI apocalypse affecting everything. At yes. some point, there'll be a way of having some sort of old school <laughs> championship fighter. Like, like all, I mean, that went into wrestling there, but I, UFC, but you could do Steve Austin now fights Steve Austin from 1998. Well, I mean, I guess- I mean, 1998 would absolutely destroy got, him, but- You've got the WWE games that are kind of like the simulation yeah. with their rankings, but- I do agree with you. That will be quite an impressive so thing. So there's there, one there, good use for AI. There was one more thing that I thought of with Daddy Kratos coming out in the fact that are we saying that he is the exact, he's just the older version of the younger Kratos, right? They're not two separate Kratoses from two different timelines. No. Right, so in that case then, he's gone through all the same experiences as him. So he's learned all of his moves. He knows the moves that mm -hmm. he's going to do before he's going to do it. Whereas the OG Kratos has no idea what he's up against. This changes things. I thought I was under the assumption that OG Kratos had been pulled in like, like multiverse sort of. <laughs> Yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> Not the thing it's I was thinking of. It. Yeah, 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 very good. Uh, and they were—he was fighting like in his prime. He's yeah. not learned any of this. He's yeah. not mm -hmm. realized that vengeance gets him nothing. He's still of the opinion that vengeance actually rules. He also mm -hmm. doesn't fight anyone with an axe, as far as I know. In that entire trilogy, I don't know if he does. Actually, how he might be completely unequipped. I'm, I'm, we should definitely move no, on. Carry on. No, no, one more okay. point. One more point. I'm just thinking, how like mind blown would original Kratos be, right? If he was fighting his older self, and his older self just turned around and said, "Like, listen, you're going to get over the death of your wife and your kid, and we have a son now." And it's like, but your wife is also dead. So, just so you're going to have heartbreak. You will love again, but then yeah. she won't be around. She, she won't be yeah. around. It's, it's like, oh, right. That Maybe that would like calm the raging beast. Down for just be like, be like, wait, wait. So I, I'm happy. It's like, eh, happy's <laughs> a... Oh, like, for a moment, you were okay. You're a Gen Zer. You're fine. Like, yeah. you're fine. OG you Kratos pops in and old Kratos goes, congratulations, Kratos. <laughs> you, you got, got a son. son. <laughs> Frank Fontaine in the corner. <laughs> That's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs>
<laughs> Either way, we would all watch that fight. Um, <laughs> next question from Josh Sloan, who says, when revisiting or remembering old games, how much does nostalgia impact your review or rating of that game? E.g., is the game really that good, or do you just remember it very fondly? Oh, we Let's face it. Let, we are all nostalgia blind. Like, there are some games out there that I will not go back to because the memory I hold of them mm. is so much better than they could ever be. Mm. Like, I personally haven't gone back and played 007 Goldeneye since maybe 2010 at university, okay. like around that, eight, that mm. area, because it was showing its age a lot then. Yeah. And now I'm just kind of like, I prefer to keep it in my mind as being the best first-person shooter ever. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I got that on Switch. I think there are a lot of parts, for Goldeneye specifically, there are a lot of parts I don't think you need to qualify if you've got a video game, Scott. You've got everything. I'm just letting you know, I've bought a couple of video games. Brag, all right, I've got a Switch. (laughs) Flex. I feel like um, Goldeneye holds up actually fairly well, as long as you know what you're going for. It's obviously the weird one analog stick thing. In that case, I would defend that Goldeneye holds up pretty well, kind of like a Time Splitters holds up quite well. They're just different styles of first-person shooter. However, I'm going back through the original Resident Evil 4 at the minute, which I still absolutely love. I know! Watch what you say now, because remember? I love it, but I forgot how ridiculous that game script was. I just forgot how much it was like Metal Gear Solid adjacent. Like, they're just full-on Leon flirting on with Hunnigan on the radio and just all the weird quips and all the back-and-forth stuff, which I know is what made it so lovable. But I remember that game for the action and obviously the um, everything about the levels and whatever else. And so it's been a long time since 2004. Mm -hmm. So I'm going back through that now in prep for the remake, and I think that's something where I was like, oh, my nostalgia just blanked out all this, like, mm. the, the bad parts of the script. So that's a very good example in the sense that I also have downloaded Resident Evil 4 and I've played mm. it up on the train up here and mm. I've also done my review, which you can go watch on the channel, uh, of the do. Resident Evil 4 remake, and the gunplay in uh, Resident Evil 4's remake is so liquid smooth. It mm. is really, really fun, but it got me blinded to how I remembered the original, so I went back and played <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, you are static, you can't move, yeah. and all these enemies are just, like, right in, in front of stand you. Still to read. As well. But you realize how slow the enemies were in that game because mm. of that fact. So the entire gameplay tone is so different between them, yet I'm looking at it going like, which do I actually prefer now? Because they're yeah. both brilliant in their own mm. right. It's mm-hmm. a very strange like one. Distinct, I quite like the way they've drawn that. Because we talked about it on the uh, podcast earlier this week, um, about that whole, one of the strengths of that sort of stick and move approach to mm. it is that you sort of kite enemies around a, a corner and then have a last stand as you pick off different ones. So I quite like the distinction, but I'm yeah looking forward to like, getting stuck into the proper Resident Evil. Oh, it's uh, good, boys. Yeah, I can't wait. I cannot wait. I'm so pleased this question in particular came up because I was playing, when I was off ale last week, I was playing through the Evil Within 1. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking about this very question because in our job, especially, you know, we do top 10 lists, we do editorials, we do podcasts where we're recommending games all the time. And it makes me think about some of the games that constantly pop up. How many times have we mentioned Mad Max on a list? Yeah. How many times have we mentioned Spec Ops The Line oh, on a list? Way too so many. many. We're trying to quit. We're trying times. to quit. We really are. Yeah. It's hard yep. stuff to get off of. But the point is... <laughs> I haven't gone back to play Mad Max in a long time. Yeah. That game is almost a decade old. Mm. Does it still stand up? Is that recommendation still a recommendation for today? Or is it based on the great time I had playing it eight years ago? That's something that yeah. I'm trying to... I think that holds up very nicely. It, I, that one probably does. Yeah. But I went back to the evil within mm-hmm. to kind of reassess it to think, I, I enjoyed this, but it was flawed at the time. Mm. How does it play in 2023? Mm. Because like you guys were saying, that nostalgia does blind you from some of the issues that if you from an audience that would experience it fresh now. True. Well, if you go back and play Gears of War 1, I remember when that came out for the Xbox 360 and I 
genuinely thought the graphics were never going to get better than this. Yeah. Like I may have also said the same about Final Fantasy VIII when it came out on the PC, we should do, which I was very wrong about. We should do ten times graphics will never get better than this <laughs> in and video then, games. And then brackets, <laughs> but they did. Like, I remember more, the original Mortal Kombat was like, well, it looks like real life. Yeah, they're, they're how, their how, photos, how, how could it possibly be any better? But I went back and played Gears of War, and I was like, I remember this being like the revolutionary uh, third-person action shooter game. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, when I go back and play it, I was like, oh, the level design is really archaic because it sets out very clearly where your firefight sections are going to be. And they realized that really quickly in the action third-person game that they had to orchestrate these um, situations like collapsing buildings or rubble would suddenly be in the way for you to take as cover mm-hmm. because you it feels so weird to just run up and it's like, why were, the, were these boxes here perfectly uh, chest-high walls so that you could hide behind for this one specific reason? Yeah. So going back to it, the sheen was taken off because what was once revolutionary has now just become a trope. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, oh. Yeah, I think it's always like a, it always kind of goes back and forward in terms of um, how much you want to rely on that stuff versus mm-hmm. like because I, I mean we just did a whole uh, news video on the fact that Ubisoft are doing a whole bunch of AI stuff going forward oh and I boy. want nothing to do with anything that comes out of that whole program and <laughs> um, I would rather because I think as well we did a whole other thing on how some of the most highly rated games of this year so far are the Resident Evil 4 remake the Dead Space remake mm-hmm. and Metroid mm-hmm. Prime Remastered and you know approaches to video games that are that are sort of regarded as old, but are clearly still phenomenal. They're clearly still designed to be finished. They have great mechanics. Like There's that whole thing um, of like, trying to find that balance between uh, nostalgia and just actually stuff that worked yeah. and that can still keep going. I guess the question that I've got for you two is, what is the game from your childhood that you just hold up as being like one of the most important? Like, Do you have like a, f- a game that really like, affected you as you were growing up? My default is definitely Metal Gear Solid. Okay, so mm. hold on to that. Metal uh, Gear Solid and... Honestly, probably Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys been back to play them yes. fairly recently? all the time. And does it still hold up? exactly as well? I think, I mean, like, obviously it's of its time in terms of the tone of the story. Metal Gear Solid 1, obviously it's of the time in terms of the, the tone of the story, the, like, the gruff kind of 90s action hero thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the self-mechanics are really solid. I think the inventiveness of the character designs and the plot and everything, like, there's enough anime infused into that that almost makes it more timeless or makes yeah. it more yeah. um, modern. If Metal Gear Solid dropped right now, I think we would all take a step back and be like, this is so cool. This is such mm-hmm. a cool IP. Mm-hmm. This mix of, like, mechs and cyber ninjas and, like, there's, like, gruff hero in the middle and, like, some of it's self-aware, some of it's playing it really straight. Yeah. Like, um, not that I'm saying it, it is timeless. There obviously are things that have dated, um, but I think a lot of it overall is pretty good. I think it holds up. I do think Metal Gear in particular holds up. That said, there are some other games. I got a PlayStation 1 recently, unearthed it from my parents' house, and I went to CEX, <laughs> bought a few games for it. And there were a few games from my childhood that, you know, changed my yeah, life. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. talking, you know, Tomb Raider 3. I'm talking nice. Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Oh, amazing. Uh, the Spider-Man 1 PS1 game, and another Star Wars one called, like, Demolition, which was a multiplayer title. Oh, oh really? God. Oh, wait, Star Wars Twisted Metal style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's a really... That, that game, I swear, like, no one's played <laughs> like, oh, yeah. but it like me and my friends played it all the time so I booted that up I yeah. bought it yeah. uh, on the Playstation 5 stocks this is in the classic uh, system and I thought let's relive my childhood let's see how this holds up mm-hmm. didn't hold up did not hold up that thing was papered over with paper mache and duct tape my friend I played it for 10 minutes thought I'm not getting what I want from this this is not held up in the same way that obviously a Metal Gear stands the test of time and I think for every Metal Gear there are 10 games oh, from your yeah. childhood that if you revisit it now you'd think 
That's better off a memory. Yeah. There's something about, because I, I have this whenever I go back to really old school stuff, where I do think, I and I love going back to things like Mario 64, or like when I went mm-hmm. through all of the Atari 50 collection, where you're going through things that were literally from the late 70s or the, across the 80s, the formation of what would become genres, or the formation of what would become bankable mechanics. I find it quite easy to tap into what this what that must have been like, and still yeah. finding it impressive that, oh my God, they managed to render something in 3D, or they managed to do this cool, I don't know, sequence of mechanics that feels satisfying. I love that feeling, and so for me, like, I mean, I just bought Akar, which is like this weird game that was kind of half released back in the day, and then Jeff right. Mendes finished it off now, and it's on Switch. And so for me, the, like, if there's a core mechanic that was made well, whether it be like timing-based or whatever, it will carry that'll the rest. carry a lot more than the things where we try, at the time we were trying to ape like certain filmic traits or cinematic yeah. styles yeah. or whatever. Those date more, the same way movies can date more. We talked about this actually off camera in the office because I thought that was really interesting because when I go back to old games I love appreciating some for what they were at the time for exactly what you just said Mm -hmm. there what mechanics did they bring in what revolutions did they inspire how many games copied them etc etc and the fun analyzing from that perspective really fun to play it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I would personally argue no. Right. I would rather, in a way, watch a video essay on a game that is interesting. Mm. And, I, yeah. and I'd rather go back to play a game that still kind of holds up or still has that mechanic that's still mm. fun today. They're both valuable. None of them should be forgotten. But I just think it's interesting in the way that you want to relive that. Do you want to literally relive it through the action of playing it? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to talk about it? Do you want to think about it? Yeah, there's almost like a museum or like archival quality to it. Like I, I like dip in and doing like a few hours or something and um, but then it depends how much it holds up like i like loved mario 64 even a couple of years ago and went through that for the first time because i finally had an n64 um but yeah all the things in the atari 50 collection like you've kind of got a feel of them after maybe half an hour at the most because yeah. they are fundamentally arcade games but you can sort of dip into them and um, versus resident evil 4 i am loving playing through that because yeah. to me all that stuff still holds up yeah. and it's still really really fun um and all the castle level and everything like, that's still great like you could that most of that you could easily just go yeah. through again now um so yeah i guess it's always case by case Case, but um, it just it depends though. It's like, does that core thing feel fresh enough yeah. or innovative enough um, even now? Like, if you can um, revisit it in yeah. that way. And I do think, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, these <laughs> questions are so good when you talk about them. It's going to be like three <laughs> questions for you. Like cool. I, I know, I know. I was going to say, I think that's it's interesting in regards to the games that we mentioned now. You know, the remakes of Resident Evil 4, the remakes of Dead Space, the remaster of Metroid Prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those games certainly changed things and modernized things, mm-hmm. especially in the case of Resi in terms of the quote unquote tank controls. Mm-hmm. But the fundamental of them still hold up. You can still play the original yes. Resident Evil 4, yep. and it still is, in my opinion, maybe yours too, still one of the best games of all time, untouched. It still oh, yeah. has yeah, yeah. that kind of sensibility. I think there are some eternal games that you know will be great in the same way that some films are eternal, and yeah, yeah. they're older, but they feel modern. They were cutting edge. I think... That Resident 4 thing though is fascinating because it's, it is one of the best games of all time, but doubly so because of what it was doing for 2004, like we're pre-Gears of War, yeah. we're pre-stop and pop cover systems, like we barely had over the shoulder shooting apart from like Operation Windback and I think Kill Switch was before then. So it's like, there's not that much and then they sort of like perfected it for, for the time. And then it held, was held up as like, oh my God, this is a whole other way to interact with enemies and everything else. And when I play it, I'm still in, in uh, bringing some of that mentality forward and being like, oh my God, it's still mind blowing because I'm like kind of half, I'm so aware that it's of that time it's, graphically and everything. It's because it's supported so well by just a clear and clever aesthetic and sound design. Mm. Like I was going through that game and I was just there like the Resident Evil 4 remakes uh, orchestral stuff that it adds in and the rich color palette that it adds in 
they definitely add a lot to what modern gaming is today and mm-hmm. indeed what horror mo- is mm-hmm. in modern gaming as well. But you have something about those crispy, almost like deep fried, like uh, vo- vocal lines and this sort of like nasty sound effects that just sound like wet cabbage being slapped <laughs> against a fish or something like that. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's unique and that's yeah. why it will last forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like... I don't know if you guys have ever seen the uh, the original film Nosferatu. Yeah. Oh, God, like, yeah. That, that is still terrifying to this day. Yeah. One of the first horror films ever made, still terrifying to this day because it's so uncannily odd from a modern audience perspective. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Resident Evil 4 and other games, like you were saying, they hit that thing of being not perfect by today's standards, but perfect and will last forever as a piece of time. Yeah. Yes, like, I think that's yeah. definitely what um, the be- the thing that was working the most in Metro Primary Mastered's favor was like, oh, this this is such a cool way to explore a level, the yeah. first person, the combat, the lock-on targeting, and like that's obviously more the action side of it, but just the puzzle design, the level design, there's yeah. so many great things there I that ha- are timeless. I have to say. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. 
I'll see you all soon. As well, I love it when a remaster actually does what it says it's going to do. Mm. Like it makes an amazing game even better. Mm. Like mm -hmm. I, there are only a very few handful of games that I will say don't go back and play the original. The remaster does it all. Like the right. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One and Two remake mm. remasters, however you want to slide on that, they are the definitive way to play Tony Hawk's games, in my opinion, at least those first two. Yeah, unless you have like a weird, maybe with the, maybe with sick love of pol polygons, <laughs> like I do. Or maybe you could put the soundtrack of the original ones over the yeah, top. Yeah, once, once they finally, license. like, they had to, there was two songs missing or something, and then yeah, they finally yeah. managed to get the rights to them. So yeah. I think it is like a one-on-one. Now it is a one-to-one. -one. Yeah. It's the same soundtrack, yeah. I think what, what's interesting as well, or at least I think is interesting, yes. I want to test this theory <laughs> okay. right now, uh, is like almost the inverse of what we're saying here. Like these great games will be great forever but in their context when Resident Evil 4 came out and you got so many Resident Evil 4 imitators mm. that were almost immediately slagged off because mm. it's familiar it's following a trend mm, yeah. I think it's interesting to go back to some of those games that definitely are derivative in a lot of ways unoriginal yeah. but without that kind of context and being able to separate yourself from it being such an obvious ripoff mm -hmm. you find no they still have a lot of merit yeah they were definitely heavily influenced by something yeah. but you shouldn't just write that off necessarily. Like, there's some hidden gems within that field. Yeah, there. there are two tangential games to the Resident Evil franchise that I remember Scott and I were talking about at great length. And there was one called Obscure, where you're set at a high school. Oh, high, yes, we and made other, that. And the other one was Cold Fear. Yes. Ah, right. we, talk about Cold so Fear this, this we, we, we talk about those all the time because those exist within that swamp <laughs> of like they are Resident Evil imitators. They didn't actually do anything new or apart from they did add one new element in, mm -hmm. but the rest was very formulaic. Mm -hmm. But my God, those games were good. And they are going to be forgotten. Yeah. Those are the games that I look back with the nostalgia, going back to the original question, and have the rose-tinted glasses, but want more people to play it, because mm -hmm. they too will have that. Something like Cold Fear is one that I, in my head, plays mm -hmm. like Resident Evil 2 Remake, mm -hmm. but I'm yeah, sure yeah, it yeah, does yeah, not yeah. at no, all. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit crispier around the edges. Remember, yeah, I'm curious about things like that. Um, let's get through a few more questions. Sure. Um, uh, just a statement um, from Nate, the gamer who says hot take breath of the wild is a nintendo version of the ubisoft formula thoughts on this right okay so i saw this it yes. can't be the ubisoft formula go on well so we, we agree that the ubisoft formula is you take a generic game you add one element into it and then you copy paste <laughs> it and if it works you add that into the big soup and then you just keep I adding the, a little ingredients the sauce. comparison i think they're making is that the ubisoft formula being the idea of unlock procedurally unlocking the map based on yes. likely a tower based mechanic mm. um, and that's mostly the thing that binds it together because the height of it was the crew too yeah uh, that had you unlocking parts of the map based on driving to towers and, and like docking with them or whatever uh, lol. And I think that um, that's the thing that the direct comparison is because Breath of the Wild also has towers. But that's kind of, for me, that's the only real comparison. I think it's reductive. Mm. And I think it's it's more to uh, kind of highlight just how important game design is because all games, you know, even the most original ones, are made essentially with the same set of tools. They're being influenced by something else. They're working mm. within a framework. And it's how you present things that you can reduce down to this has a tower, this has a tower, this has a fetch quest, this is mm. a this is all you're doing. Yeah. In the case of um, Breath of the Wild versus an Ubisoft title, some of the things you might be doing are the same, perhaps, but it's how that is presented to the yeah. player and what the player feels. In an Ubisoft game, we were talking about this just before we came in, actually. Mm. In an Ubisoft game, you have everything out on the map. You have your waypoints yeah. you're going to. Yeah. There's not a sense of discovery there. Those activities, there, you're just ticking it off. You're just ticking yeah. it off. Yeah. Whereas in Zelda, yeah, those activities might be similar, but they're completely transformative because you as a player are 
have a sense of discovery. There's yeah. a sense of mystery. There's a sense of player agency yeah. that I don't think you get in Ubisoft titles where you're railroaded in anything you do. It feels like 10 of the players will have done because the marker is there. It's just kind of how you get there and there's not much yeah. variation in that. It's nothing that feels yours. No. I would even go one step further and say you could argue that Elden Ring similarly mm. follows a Ubisoft style framework mm-hmm. if you reduce it down. Right. But I would delivers say it in a different way. But it delivers yeah. it in a different way mm-hmm. in something that feels fresh and player driven and therefore you wouldn't compare those titles. They feel radically different in terms yeah. of quality definitely. for me. No, I'd agree with that. I think it's definitely that idea of authorship being on the player side. Like that idea of um you know if we all played Ubisoft if we all played Assassin's Creed Valhalla and we were like, oh have you done this yet? Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen this yet? Yeah I saw that. That was the third thing it told me to do. So I went and did yeah. this. Mm. As opposed to Breath of the Wild, maybe you find one of the dragons in the middle of the night somewhere. Yeah. Um or Elden Ring, you realize that you hit a chest and it warped you somewhere completely different. Um it's not necessarily also a case of just removing the waypoints from Ubisoft games. Um I think that they have to be designed in a way that trusts the player to stumble onto stuff and then you need to interconnect everything else so that you slowly see everything and that's like that is the real like magic of it well the ubisoft formula is basically like let's take what works and Mm -hmm. replicate it again and again and again whereas it can't be the same for breath of the wild because this was nintendo going out on a huge limb of just saying look we are going to try something very different for us Mm -hmm. and while like you say it has the same archetypes of an open world genre it does deliver them through a lens of adventure and exploration is the, at the forefront of mm-hmm. it. Uh, I never ever felt when playing this game like I was ticking things off. I was mm-hmm. actively exploring the map because I wanted to, mm-hmm. and I could have at any time turned around and just headed straight for the main goal. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing that was made clear to you. Mm-hmm. In all these Ubisoft things, it's always like gated progression. It's like, you can only go and do this if you've done these other three things over here. Or the worst one where you think you have player freedom, but you'll get to a main story point and it will just say, look, you're not high enough level. You should yes, go yeah. back and you've got to grind out that side content. One of my most hated things in that style of game is if it's a starter enemy or a tiny little enemy um, that is, oh, it's level 10 and you're level 4, so it yeah. one-shotted you, yeah. but it's still doing the same little chip damage animation that yeah. like, is not yeah. meant to kill a player, but because of the level disparity, it just it automatically uh, kills you off. I think it's, uh, in terms of like, the presentation, in terms of how it doles out its missions, I think Ubisoft titles kind of almost take things away. Like it gives mm. you everything and then it's like, have you done this? Have you done that? Mm-hmm. Have you done Have you done this? And it kind of feels like you're constantly trying to fill a bucket. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's kind of trying to fill a bucket. Whereas in The Legend of Zelda's case, for instance, it's like, it's like you're filling that bucket, but you're not getting the ingredients that you've been given to go down the yeah. shop with. Yeah. This is a weird analogy, but if I'm trying to make sense here, it's, it's not like you're, you feel like you're missing out. It feels like you're discovering. It feels like you're, marking out your entire journey so you can come back Mm -hmm. and say, Scott, Jules, did you see this thing? Mm -hmm. It's not because you followed a question mark on a map. It's not because the game necessarily told you to. It's because you felt like you discovered it itself. Mm -hmm. And how does that affect the experience? I'm going back to Elden Ring again. When you had that moment where you went down the elevator and you found that that thing underground. I did that in the first like five minutes. Yeah, (laughs) an amazing thing. Would that have felt so impactful if the game kind of gave you a little question mark mm. and said, that's in the vicinity? Yeah, go check out that mysterious area. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Scott went, got there within five minutes. It took me about 80 hours to <laughs> yeah. find that thing, you know? <laughs> when I went down there, I immediately was like, oh, wow. I was overwhelmed by the sheer size and scope of it. That I was like, no, no, no. I 
got to go back up the top now because I feel like I'm this, in the is, wrong surely, area this is surely yeah. the end boss area. Yeah. This is like the second level, right? I should go and do all the first things. And what a mistake that was because like you say, 80 hours later, I was like, wait a minute, where was that lift going? And I was like, go all the way back and go back down. And I was like, oh, this is like a, just an extra optional thing. What the hell? Because like, mine was like, yeah, in the first sort of five, 10 minutes, I just like dovetailed away from that guy on the horseback and then found that thing in the woods and descended yeah. all the way down. Then randomly match made with a bunch of people who were looking to get into the game and then just had a random dungeon crawling experience with these random people for like an hour or so. And I was just like, I'm just going to go with what this game is serving up. But those were my first sort of couple of hours yeah. in Elden Ring, yeah. which are massively different to like a lot of other people's. I think if we're being truthful, the idea of freedom in any video game mm. is just an illusion. Yeah, the developers yeah, yeah. have total control, mm -hmm. but it's how they hide it. It's how they, how important they make you feel. And we are important. Very, very, yes. very, very important, by the way. The gamers are very important. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? It's like how they hide that. It's yeah. how well they obfuscate that idea. How much, like you said, they, they allow you to feel like you're authoring your own experience and not mm. just playing in someone else's toy box or to steal another kind of comparison, mm. hitting your mark as an actor. I know right. a lot of people don't like Naughty Dog or Rockstar games because they feel like they have a very specific scene yep. and it, you don't have any control as a player. You're an actor. You're you playing a role. fast enough yeah. in the collapsing debris. Exactly. Hit yeah. that mark, come into a scene that way. And there's a lot of fun to be had by that. But in an open world game, especially, I think you, it suffers from Not that. totally. Like, yeah, I think as well, if some random uh, cathedral started collapsing in Elden Ring yeah. randomly or in Breath of the Wild and you figured it out yourself, you jumped to the side and you sailed out the side as you watched it collapse behind you, that would stick with you a lot more than a, a mm, dedicated mm, mm, set. I'll tell you what, I'm doing it again. I'm elongating the, the, the question. I think <laughs> the big difference as well between Zelda specifically <laughs> and Ubisoft games is how they implement their mechanics. In, in mechanically speaking, Ubisoft games, apart from maybe Immortals Phoenix Rising, which right. in itself is maybe a Zelda clone. It is. Mm. That you, is literally Zelda through a yeah. Ubisoft blender. Yeah. Like yeah. Totally. yeah, you can only interact with the world in the ways you can interact with the world. Press Y to do this, there's not much freedom. Whereas in Zelda, yeah, the, 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 the missions might be basic, the dungeons might be repetitive sometimes, but you're giving us you're given a set of mechanics and you're given an understanding of how physics work in that world, and then you can improvise yeah. <laughs> whatever you want. It's not just pressing Y mm. or pressing a certain number of buttons at a specific order to get to the end. It's, if I want to improv a bridge here, it's not the prettiest way to solve the puzzle, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm allowed to do it. I'm working within the game's framework. Or yeah. if it's a case of like, yeah, okay, cool. We do need to get to that shrine to unlock that, or the tower in this case to unlock uh, this new area of the map. Why don't I just get on this metal slab and <laughs> fling myself along there? Just like, yeah, yeah. Just it's also like one of the things that made uh, Stranding incredible. Now, let's stick on this point forever, but like the tools that Death Stranding gives you, it's like, well, maybe you want to just put a ladder up the side of the mountain and climb that way or descend a different way or yeah. build a bridge or build a stunt ramp and go that way. Um, re yeah, restoring authorship on the player side rather than giving you a to-do list and just mm -hmm. saying, go do this mm -hmm. for 300 hours. Which is ironic, right? Because mm. Death Stranding is kind of just a to-do list. It's like, yeah. deliver this, deliver that, but it's how you get there. It's yeah. the freedom mm, in those yeah. mechanics to get from one place to another that makes it feel exciting still and, and dynamic. I think dynamism is the mm -hmm. word I, I would Kojima knows when to lay off and go, I trust you'll figure this out, but yeah. you need to be over here, which is what Breath of the Wild does too. Um, <laughs> another statement from Twyla Bell who says, is, sorry, this is a question. Is Scott Taylor becoming a grumpy old man shouting at kids on his porch? <laughs> becoming? <laughs> becoming? <laughs> I don't know. You don't shout at many people. I no, don't think I you've ever respectfully raised argue with them as to why the old school, as why the 2000s were the finest era in gaming history. I think you're going to make a really good old man. I Not that so. you'll do any shouting, but I'm, I'm imagining <laughs> you on your porch, still playing porch. Oh, that's no on, on your in, in your garage. No, no, no. no, no. Go, goes back to the porch before he's there. In his the little, like, rocking yeah. chair. He's like it's a, it's a lazy summer afternoon. He's sitting there with his uh, at this point the relic that is known as the uh, what's it, the switch.
which stream deck, Steam Deck, Steam Deck. He's, he's there, like, he's like gathering <laughs> dust there, and they're like, "What's he playing over there?" He's like, "Oh, it's it's, it's a video game that you use with your hands." <laughs> what, what an old loser! And it's a like, single player game. Like, <laughs> put their chip back into their head as they a, as they uh, have AI dialogue between them because we're too lazy to even talk to each other now. <laughs> as I'm sitting there with my, my single shot rifle, shooting <laughs> VR headsets off people who walk past me, um, <laughs> reminding them of the good old times. Question from JP who says, a full cast for the UBP, question for Ooh. all. What is the most obscure video game you currently own? And um, I recent went, recently went through small boxes and they found a copy of the Hobbit game on PlayStation 2. <laughs> what a oh, treasure, thanks for all the pods. Well, thank all of you for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Um, God, the old school Hobbit. I never played the old school Hobbit game. It's the one with the, um, the uh, what's the name of the artist who did the original animated Lord of the Rings Oh, I'm not movie. sure. Um, oh, that one. They did the it's design in that, that style. Not no, entirely, oh, oh, I'm with you. Reminds with you. me yeah, of that. Yeah. I can't yeah, think yeah. of that dude's name. People who'll know who I mean. It there's, there's a really old, outdated AF version of, of Lord of the Rings. In, in that film, right, when they, the animated film, the very yes. first one, there's a scene in that where Gandalf is just a massive bell end, right? Because <laughs> basically, like, he's, he, goes, like, he goes to uh, Bilbo and he's just standing there, he's like, all right, geese, uh, like, uh, why don't you, day, uh, uh, why, why you... I say, well, you look after that ring, you mug. Uh, I, I, but I'll tell you what, if, if it falls into the wrong hands, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you in a car park I'll and a crowbar, right? I'll ding you. Um, <laughs> And then he turns away and he just like, I think Mary is with him and he just, tur- he just turns away for a bit. And he just turns back to Mary and goes, like that. And he's like, li- li- they animated him just like scaring him. And, and, and he goes, like that. And he just walks away and it's like, what the hell was that? He like, did it in the voice booth. So, so at that point here, right, you've got animators that probably worked on that because it's, it's about, what, four seconds worth of animation. And they say that it's something like 60... Uh, cells of animation for every second or something silly like that because of the fluid motion mm, that they've mm-hmm. got on. So that person just sat there and just like, yeah, you know what, for no reason Gandalf's just going to try and spook one of his fellow members of the party <laughs> for no reason. That whole thing is over-animated, like you said. It's, yeah. it's like those weird uh, Philip CDI Zelda games where everyone's like yeah. mouth is like a whole separate thing. It's like, I, I feel like they had a mocap budget and they had to use it because it was just kind of like, okay, so uh, I want you to just point to where you think Mount Doom is. It's like, it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, point to it. It's like, oh, right, okay. In terms of obscure stuff, I'm going to throw in, uh, I don't know how obscure this is necessarily, but I think my most random game that I still have a physical copy for is ECW Hardcore Revolution. Wow. From, from the PlayStation 1. Yes. Yeah. from Because I couldn't find, there was a, I don't know, secondhand shop back in the, I'm going back like 20 years or something. It was back in my initial wrestling phase. Yeah. I'm, I'm back in now. Yeah. AEW is pretty yeah. good. But, um, back in the day, it was like collecting all the SmackDown games and I used to have um, WCW Backstage Assault. And then yeah, it yes. was like one of my friends, back then everyone was trying to put um, superstars through tables. It was always like, could, yeah. you, put, could yeah. you powerbomb someone through yeah. a table? Yeah. And the SmackDown games hadn't got that right. They only barely got it right now. Um, but... Uh, ECW Hardcore Revolution would let you suplex someone if the table was behind them. It, it would, would just catch the them in there. Yeah, you, uh, rather than the SmackDown one where you'd have to do the oh, animation do the, do the on v. the table. And then it would just be like, clap yeah. like that. It's like, wow. And like, you know, we was always trying to convince myself that it looked cool. It didn't. It looked <laughs> terrible. And they would always float in midair and then fall. Me and my friends constantly trying to put the table in between setting up for the 3D and then watching the table just as it comes. Like, the table just goes, nah. And just like, like, <laughs> like just to like, get out of there. Yeah, yeah even like uh, last year's 2K22 still has the ladder. The tables, the ladder's like yeah, warping yeah. out the way yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're in there, I, they've definitely got a hell of a lot further. That would be mine. Uh, mine would probably be so obscure games. Um, 
trying to think stuff because for me it was like physical stuff. Like I have very few physical copies of older games now. Yeah. It's like Jedi Power Battles, the original Metal Gear Solid, a copy of Sonic on the Mega Drive, and then my ECW game. I got I, a lot of really embarrassing uh, PS2 games. Go got it. I think yeah. you've got the Sopranos, my friend. I've got the Sopranos. Oh, road amazing. To respect. Amazing. I'm not embarrassed by the He's Sopranos. He's on the road to respect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> um, no. He got me. Brothers <laughs> wrote respect, but yes. I will frame that one. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be up on the wall. Yeah. Uh, but I've also got um, Pop Idol, the video game, wow. which has Simon Cowell on the front. Why'd you buy that? I never actually played it. Just have it. Just don't just it. Just have got it. it. Got, a, got, a, got a jockey game, a horse riding oh, G1 game. G1 jockey. G1 jockey. Boom. I'm ethically, Boom. Against, I'm ethically against it, but I'm, I own it for some right. reason. Don't I know why. bet you bought it for the same reason that I bought my copy, which is uh, there used to be like a little like Japanese game show that had uh, like the uh, horses were replaced with random animals and like crazy things and I thought that that game was that right. but no it was an actual real life jockey Ugh. game and I was like this is boring <laughs> <laughs> um, I never knew you had the Pop Idol game Pop the, Idol game if game. we ever get back into streaming which you definitely should yeah, 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 yeah. I'll bring it in and I'll make you I'm not going to play it but I'll make you two play it <laughs> yeah, <let's> <laughs> I can't imagine you have to sing I can't imagine it's one of those I imagine it's a button measure but I don't know what songs are on it I don't know do you have to go through the auditions and go to the live shows Not is Simon is Cowell involved he's on the front cover I don't guess we'll see we'll he's see just, he's just there gurning it he's like you've not made it you've not, <laughs> you haven't got the X factor Jules what's your most rarest um, uh, random game so it would either be uh, Guitaru Man. Not Great many people show. have heard about that, which is fantastic. It's, it was like it's a rhythm action game in a very different sense. In that uh, you've got to uh, a line will appear on the screen and it will come from like left, right, up, down, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've got to hold the analog stick in the direction of the line and follow it, kind of like you know those, um, yeah. those electric shock games. Where you used to like f uh, get the annoying mm -hmm. stick through yep. the thing. Um, I also have that video game, the annoying stick for the PS One. <laughs> uh, that, that? It, it literally is that carnival game. Um, um, no, right, no, 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 no. It's, it's that the entire game is that you going through the entire thing. I the, board, the, the board team meeting for that. Just yeah, yeah, we yeah. need to get on this. It's you had same. an obsession as a child. <laughs> and you, you're like, yeah, I want yeah. every version of this <laughs> game, real life, <laughs> digital. Um, but I think I've, I've got two copies of Hurdy Gurdy. Have you played that? Oh my ah. god, that game was mind blowing it's graphically. So for the time. cool. It's done in this kind of weird uh, watercolor style thing of like it looks like a fairy tale book brought to life. Um, mm. And the Thanks concept. So is is that you want to become the best herder of the uh, of your uh, of your land, mm. and you do so by moving these tiny little things called dupes, which are like little chickens, and you put them into pens. But watch out, Josh, because all of a sudden you think to yourself, "This is a bit too easy." Watch out, the Grump is coming along. Whoa. What's the Grump? What's he's, a, he's a giant bear who kind of looks like he's being crossed with uh, Scooby Doo and um, Ash Millman's hair color. So he's a big, <laughs> pink, big pink monster, and he comes along. And you start I eat your dupes, mate. I like lots of. Yeah. I, uh, so I think we need to call the authorities again. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's He's referencing the weird colours again. It's, so, uh, so there we go. That is, uh, that, is uh, that is the weirdest game that I own. It's that definitely qualifies. We will end on a question from AJ. A little bit of a spicy question oh, here. Okay, okay. Do you think Xbox will be no more in the next console generation since Game Pass is their golden ticket and they could potentially use that through TV streaming and etc. I guess is that the direction they go in? UBP, 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 UBP all of us UBP. rule. I think, right, if, if Microsoft could 
yes. get themselves on every TV without a console, they would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, like, true. they don't care about the actual machine itself. They nope. care about, like, their games and their they subscriptions. They care about the girth. They care about they the They want to build the girth. They want to they the be, you know, Batman Forever when Jim Carrey makes the, the, the box that, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, just yeah. directly beams into someone's yeah. brain. They want to make that. <laughs> so I think there is a definitely, I don't know if it's, if it's well, imminent, but I think there's definitely a future where Xbox is a brand and around, but it's not a machine. Yes, mm-hmm. they, their mm-hmm. ultimate end point, their, their third stage evolution is to just be the app on everyone's TV, on everyone's phone. Excuse me, and pardon me for hitting the table. That's what they want to be doing. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree. I think that unless they pivot really hard and they make a uh, their next console not about the graphics, but literally it's just a streaming device that allows you to do that, then that may be where they go. I think. They market themselves as not being like, they're like, we are the powerhouse of gaming in the palm of your hand sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I th- honestly, because they have that whole contractual stipulation where if you're making a game for the Series X, it has to work on Series S. Right. Um, I think that is already them showing their true colors in terms of they're not bothered about making something that would, you know, only work on the high-end system. It's the, like, you want to get people in buying the premium console, but you still need to have the wider availability of those titles um, on the lower stuff. Then again, what, I know that the costs of making a console are probably astronomical. Mm. Like, we we have no idea the behind-the-scenes figures of some of these things, but the research and development, the cost of manufacturing, all that stuff, most of these consoles are lost leaders for for the company. Mm -hmm. They may just do it because of the fact that it's, if they don't do it, it's almost like they're admitting that they lost. Even though we <laughs> just agreed that if they were on every single tablet, TV device, whatever, they are winning. Mm-hmm. The public image of not having a console out is basically saying, like, we've withdrawn, Sony's taken this mm-hmm. one. That's mm-hmm. what it looks like. They to- seem to be, like, that's almost their positive because mm-hmm. to them, I mean, that whole thing that Phil Spencer said years ago where he was, oh, we're competing with Google and Amazon. We're not competing with Sony and Nintendo. The idea being that they are this wider service of, this wider, like, wider platform of things. I like, always they read, want that to be the case. I always read that as being less like um, them being like, oh, you know, these are the real competitors. Maybe it just was like a big slight to Nintendo and Sony. It's <laughs> kind of like, you guys are still piddling about in the yeah. kiddie pool. We're You're working not even on here on the adult's table. Like, that's what I think they want, though. I think mm. they want all exclusives and whatever. Mm. Oh, that's all over there because we're doing this wider, nebulous, ghost in the shell. That they say before thing. they buy out every single publisher to make sure that they can have exclusives well, the, yeah. if they so choose. It, it kind, of, like this kind of tracks, though, because they're, you know, by making this purchase of Activision for $70 billion or whatever, yeah. they're kind of saying, well, we're Disney. We're not like a Sony. We're not, we're not, we're not a games publisher. Mm-hmm. We're, we're Xbox and we're, we're huge. You know, yeah. we're oh, yeah. this big conglomerate. We don't, you we don't cannot deny us. We'll be yeah. their next tagline. <laughs> like, I, oh my God, yeah. For the players over one side and then you cannot deny us on the other side. Or it's just they borrow from the Matrix and it's just like, uh, we are inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> that is it, that is it. Game Pass is inevitable if they stick with it. Um, but yes, for now, there's been the Untitled Bandit podcast, the UBP, the UBP. The UB3. The UB3, the 3BP. I've been Scott Tilford. That's been Jules Gill. Hi, thank you. Hi. And also Josh Brown. Bye, thank Usually you. We do some sort of two-person outro, but it doesn't matter. It's just Scott Taylor for Josh Brown, Jules Gill. Go find the What Culture Gaming podcast. Go subscribe for more of these things, and we'll catch you there. Goodbye. Bye. See ya. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.